Welcome to the Money Advantage Podcast, empowering business owners with the permission to think differently about money so that you can consciously choose to live a meaningful and fulfilled life now. Our passion is making money simple, fun, and doable, helping you feel great about your money and getting your money working for you so you can thrive. Good morning. This is Bruce Weiner from the Money Advantage Podcast, one of your co-hosts, and I have... uh, Cole Pickett on today. He's one of our associates with the Money Advantage. Cole, uh, looking forward to our conversation today. Yep, thank you, Bruce. And uh, so am I. So I'll let you start us off here. So as we look at the infinite banking concept, and we have people inquiring all the time um, with the Money Advantage, the thing that we see as a universal theme is that um, they're always asking questions. Well, how do I know which company to work with, or how do I know which organization to work with, or how do I know which insurance agent to work with? So Rachel and I decided to do a podcast today on this, and Rachel's not going to be with us today. Rachel is uh, right in the middle of um, launching her book. Everybody should be excited about that. It's called uh, Seven Generations. It's a family legacy book. And she's also uh, going through her pregnancy right now. Uh, She did uh, announce that before. And uh, for you people that have been following the podcast for a long time, you also will know that Rachel almost died in her last childbirth. But uh, she, she was assured by many, many physicians going through many, many tests that there would be no complications from this. And that was a very rare experience for her. So uh, she will not be on this podcast. Uh, Probably more and more of these I will be dealing with Cole. Cole is one of our client coordinators at the Money Advantage. He also works with us at E3 Wealth in St. Louis. And Cole will be contributing because Cole has been on hundreds of meetings with me. And he sees uh, some of the questions, and here's some of the questions that people are asking. We're going to try to clarify those today because clarification is actually going to bring action for people. So what I think people really need is they need education, like we've been trying to provide for about five and a half years now. That If you have education, then you're going to have confidence. And that confidence then will allow you to take action And that action then shows that you have trust in that particular organization or that outlet where you're getting your education. And then you just repeat the process. You ask for more education from that organization, such as the money advantage. You're going to gain more and more confidence. Then you're going to take more action. And that shows that you have more and more trust in the process. So we're going to try to uh, move that along even more today by going over the infinite buyers, or excuse me, the infinite banking buyers checklist because. As Cole and I have noticed over the uh, last, I would say over the last two years, especially, there's been a lot of confusion out there as far as what is really the truth. Because in social media, you can actually get on your phone at any time and you can get what is supposedly um, the truth. And a lot of people don't know what the truth is. So we've actually put together a whole infinite banking buyers checklist that you can obtain in our uh, show notes. And you can actually then go through this checklist when you're looking um, either at a a particular person to do business with, a particular uh, business to do um, business with, and then maybe that'll help you build confidence to take some action. So Cole, is there anything that you want to add to that particular a statement there? No, I totally agree. And uh, I definitely have seen in the hundreds of meetings I've been in that whenever uh, someone has been educated properly, then they're definitely confident to to move forward. So I'm excited to get into this uh, list that you prepared. Yes. Yeah, so uh, thanks for all the, the notes that are already coming in. Marco, good to hear from you again. Um, we, we also, as we go through this, go ahead and, and uh, ask your questions on the so- social media outlets that we're live on right now. 
And we'll try to answer those along with going over this buyer's checklist. So here we go. The first one. Number one, with the infinite banking concept, you need to do business with a mutual insurance company or a mutual holding company. I'll get, I'll get, um, go over what a mutual holding company is at the end because it's really not that big a deal. But a mutual company means it's owned by the policy owners, holders. So why is this important? Well, you can have really two different types of, of insurance companies. You can have stock companies and you can have mutual companies. Stock companies are beholden to the stockholders who may not even have an insurance policy with, with that particular company. So every decision that's made actually goes to keep the stock price as high as possible. Now, they do, some of them may actually do some good customer service work, design some good products, so on and so forth, because if they don't do that, then their stock price isn't going to stay high. But it is a short-term look at the products because every 90 days, they have to do a report to the stockholders and to the public. And that is what the stock price is most of the time determined on. With a mutual company, the stockholders uh, do not own the company because there are no stockholders. The policy owners actually own the company. And this is really important because the decisions that are being made are to actually be as most profitable for the policy holders. Why? Because if they're profitable, then, then part of the profits in a form of a dividend is paid back to the policyholders, not a stockholder, because there are no stockholders. This also allows the company to think long range, not short range every 90 days. Now, as I said, with a mutual holding company, that simply means that the parent company is a, a stock company, but they have put up a wall financially between the two companies. So the mutual company's finances are still determined by the mutual company. Now, the, the stock company that is holding that mutual company can inject some capital in that. And that's a very, that's a very common thing that helps them upgrade their computer system, upgrade their customer service, so on and so forth. But as far as they cannot take any of the profits away from it, the profits have to stay with the mutual uh, holding company. So that's the difference. Number one, you need to have a mutual uh, insurance company. Number two, now, how do you pick? How do you pick which company, which mutual company to work with? Well, really importantly, because you're thinking long term, you want that company to actually um, be one of the best financial companies available. So there are a couple of different rating services called Standard and Poor's, AM Best, the Fitch rating system. And you want a company that has at least an A rating with those particular uh, organizations. And then um, there's a organization called Comdex, which is basically takes all the rating systems together and comes out to a score anywhere between zero and 100. Um, as of this recording, I believe there's only two companies that actually have scored a 100. Uh, so we suggest doing business with companies that have at least a 90% uh, rating with the Comdex, which is once again, is a, is a comp compilation of all the other rating systems. Uh, the next thing is, does the company um, have a 100 plus year of paying dividends? So we believe this is important once again, to think long range. And so the companies that we do business with, we look, we have looked back and actually every one of them that we do particular business with currently have always paid dividends since the exception of the company. So the youngest one has been in business for 118 years and the oldest one has been in business for 174 years. So you can see that they have some really, really good rating. And then finally, the, um, that you really should, this goes with that particular concept is how close are they actually to hit their dividends proje projections? Because some companies overstate what they believe what their dividend is going to be in the future. 
But then as the dividend is actually paid out, they it is actually a lot, a lot less than what they had projected, even though they're still paying a dividend. So those are the things as far as the life insurance company's strength, because we think you ought to determine what the strength of the, the company is before you determine anything else. Is there anything else, Cole, that uh, from your experience you want to add to that? Yeah, in terms of uh, picking a really good life insurance company to work with, I think another thing that someone should consider is the customer service level of the particular life insurance company. One question you could ask your uh, producer or this person you're working with is uh, what kind of customer service does the company offer and like how responsive are they to the needs of the policyholder? Whenever you're implementing the infinite banking uh, strategy into your personal economy, uh, one thing to consider is how long it's going to take you to get your money via a loan from the insurance company. And different insurance companies have different levels of customer service, therefore different levels of uh, you know how quickly you can access your cash. And the reason Cole knows about this is because he does a lot of this on a daily basis. So he actually calls the insurance companies for our organization. And so he knows the, the ones that are good or that are responsive. The other thing I could probably add to that, Cole, is, you know, a lot of people uh, come to us and they ask, well, well, I'd like to use this particular company. And although we're appointed, well, I'm appointed personally with five mutual companies currently, and then a, a couple other stock companies for other reasons, term life uh, is one of them for other annuities, you know, so on and so forth. But uh, they say, why do you do business with one or two companies, even though you're, you can be appointed with a lot of different companies? And there's a couple of reasons for that. First of all, first of all, as long as you're using one of the top mutual companies, you really can't go wrong. You have to match the mutual company to what you're trying to um, you're trying to accomplish. But the other thing, as far as a producer or an agent that you're working with, if they can focus more on one or two companies, then they really get to know the ins and outs of those particular products. And so the, pro the product design can be really, really good for you. The other thing is they learn to explain it better because they've been doing business with that particular company for a long time and understand the ins and outs. The third thing is that they understand how the customer service works. So they know who at the company they can talk to, have direct lines in many, many cases to that particular person. So this helps with the customer service to you. These are kind of things that people don't think about when they um, are actually trying to pick a company. The third is, um, I, or the next uh, is, I don't believe that people really understand that. Yes, some of the really big companies you can actually do um, the infinite banking concept with, but they don't actually embrace the concept. So you, that is a, even though you can do it, they don't embrace it. So then they don't have customer service people that are really trying to figure out what you're doing. And with the agent, um, when you call in, uh, they don't even know who you are either. And so that personal relationship that you might have with an, a, a company that is a little smaller um, but you all, you know, all the customer service people, you know, that they're actually embracing the concept can actually help when it comes to customer service. So this is something that um, everybody should be aware of from behind the scenes when you're trying to, when you're trying to pick not only a, a company, but an organization like the Money Advantage to do some work with. Okay. So um, the next thing we want to talk about is now we talked a little bit about the overall insurance company. Now let's talk about the advisor or the agent team that uh, you're actually doing business with, because that particular person will be with you and organization will, should be with you the rest of your life. So that should be the first red flag. And you should ask this question. First of all, is the agent or agent's organization, are they like-minded? Are they trying to do the infinite banking concept like you actually have heard in the past from the Nelson Nash Institute, because there's a lot of people out there that, that are using the moniker infinite banking, or they're using bank on yourself or the wealth concept or building your own bank or um, the wealth fault. There's all kinds of monikers that are just another name for the infinite banking concept, but they, they're putting their own little twist on it. 
And that, that twist doesn't follow one of the five tenets of a, of a good organization and a good mindset like Nelson um, had established. And let's go over those five really quickly. Number one, Nelson always said, think long-term. And when you think long-term, you're going to make better decisions for you and your family instead of trying to make short, um, short-term decisions. Number two, don't be afraid to capitalize. So once you decide this is the way of your life that you want to do, you want to get as much premium into the, the policy as possible so that you can utilize the benefits that, that we talk about in many, many of the other podcasts. Nelson uh, used a euphemism called don't steal the peas. And that simply meant that when you take a policy loan, that you need to pay back the loan. And that makes sense because if you're building your own bank, just like a regular bank, you want to actually pay your own bank back to get the capital built up for the next project. Just like if you owned your own bank, you would not, a real retail bank, you would not allow people not to pay your loans back. Um, you, When you own your own banking concept, you also want to make sure you pay the loans back. Now, the great part about that, though, is you're paying the loans back on your own terms. Nelson also said that um, you don't want to do business with banks. Now, I, I've talked about this on other po- uh, podcasts. Um, it takes a while to do this. Nelson himself did not get rid of the banks until he was 67 years old. So it took him a long time to do that. But that should be the goal uh, for a couple of reasons. Number one, for control, because you control the entire banking process. And number two is you then can capture some of the interest that you're paying and continue that compounding effect. And then finally, this may be the most important one. You have to rethink your thinking about what you thought about whole life insurance and how you do your borrowing. Remember, um, Nelson did the research and about 35% of people's income actually goes to payments to a bank, some type of bank. So if you can recapture some of that uh, and without interrupting the compounding, that would be something that you really should strive to do. So frankly, then when you're talking with an agent or advisory team, you make you want to make sure that they are also have that same like-minded that you discovered how the infinite banking concept works. So if that person is telling you, oh, well, don't worry, we're just going to build these with a lot of cash value at the very beginning. And you could take a loan within 10 days and yeah, you don't really have to pay it back. Um, You know, you might pay it back a little bit, but don't worry about paying it back. Just make your premium payment next year. um, And you'll get a notice in the mail. I've actually had clients say this. Um, They've had four minute meetings, Cole, (laughs) with, with their particular person. And so that's not thinking long, long term when there's four minute meetings. And what are they asking these four minute meetings? How much premium do you want to put in your policy and for how long? And we'll send you an illustration. No other mention of, of Nelson's ideas about how you should build a proper infinite banking uh, concept. Nicole, have you um, remembered from any of our um, meetings some of the things that people are asking about as far as trying to match agents with their like-mindedness? Uh, yeah. I mean, one of the questions that I've heard some of our clients ask uh, in regards to, you know, finding the right agent for them is, you know, the type of ongoing support um, do we, or does any producer provide to the client who's implementing IBC and how do they stay involved in the financial planning process? Um, I think this is a really big point um, that people don't realize until after the policy is in place and how important it is for the support role of the financial firm you're working with. Um, because you know the clients, the clients know they can take a loan, but how do they do that? The client knows they need to pay back the loan, but again, how do they do that? And what and how is the best way to go about that based on their specific financial needs? <clears throat> Yeah, that's very good. And and that's a really good point, Cole, because, um, you know, I, I know from our experience, people talk about, you know, well, yeah, I've actually been with another person, but I can't get a hold of them. Or they, they've told me just call the, the company and, 
and you can get a loan from them by calling the company or going to their website or, or um, just pay your premium when the premium notice comes up. There's no plan for a yearly review. There's no encouragement for you to actually call the agent or the agent's company. And then even if there was, what kind of response are you getting from them? Well, it's hard to get a response from an, one individual. Not, it's not imp- impossible, but we've actually learned over the years that it's much better to be in a teamwork environment. So we actually have many people on our team when you're working with uh, the agent in the money advantage, because that means you, ha- you can have multiple people you can contact. Nicole, I know you get emails a lot from different or clients. They don't email me necessarily, but they email you. Why? Because you know you're, they know you're part of the team. And they can get a hold of it. It's very imperative to ask this question: What are we going to do as far as reviewing my policy? And who do I call when I need a loan, or who do I call when I need a, uh, to make a loan repayment? And and how are you going to help me figure out how much I should pay back to the loan? So those are a couple questions you should actually be asking. All right, that was. The first one from the agent team. And the second one, there's a lot here. Um, I think this is really important. And it, this comes back to the four-minute meetings that we've, we've heard about. Um, are, they in, are they interested in discovering what you want? Or do they just ask how much premium and how long do you want to pay for it? So ask them why do you want an infinite banking policy and how they should be asking you, how's that going to change your life? So those are really, really important uh, discussions. Are they uncovering, you know, your objectives and are they going to design the strategies to support you? There's a lot of people out there that just right away say, oh, here's the perfect design and this is the only one that you, you need. We start with Nelson's guidelines, but if you, anybody has read the book, Become Your Own Bank- Banker by Nelson Nash, you're going to find that Nelson gave examples in the book that had many different designs in it. And that is because you fit the design to the person's objectives and also to the person's habits. The uh, the next one, uh, do they believe you are the best person to be in control and direct your financial futures rather than telling you already they know what you need? And that comes back again, Cole, of them just saying, well, here's the only policy design. We figured it all out and you need to design a policy like this. Uh, does your advisor base recommendations, are they based on a long-term strategy rather than just being product driven? So are they looking at what might happen in the future to interest rates? What might happen to the future as far as inflation? What might happen in the future for um, additional needs you might you might have? So um, this is something that um, I think is hard for especially younger people to understand, but even people in their 40s and 50s, they still don't look into the future a lot. And I give this example. When I first started doing this, um, we were actually in the 80s um, focusing before the infinite banking concept actually came out. Um, Nelson discovered it in the 80s, but he really didn't put guidelines to it until he wrote his book in the late 90s and then finally published it in year 2000. But in the in the 80s, our organization was actually selling whole life insurance as a way for a tax-free retirement plan. And so you actually have to sit down with a person and explain all the possible uh, situations with a particular uh, product and so that they make sure that they're or align with what you're trying to do, not just what the product can or cannot do. I think the next one is, is how experiences your client, your, um, your agent with helping clients increase their cash flow and control. So what, it's one thing to put a, an infinite banking strategy in place using a mutual uh, whole life company. It's another thing to then help people actually implement that into their lives. And you, you need somebody that is experienced. I, I believe you also need somebody that is actually constantly learning and getting best practices throughout 
the organization and this particular organization would be the Nelson Nash Institute. Um, does your advisor understand the ins and outs of the infinite banking concept? Uh, we, we've had people that have called us for second opinions on many, many occasions. And sometimes we say, oh, no, I think that's fine. That design's fine. Other ones we say, well, I think for, as far as your objectives, you ought to consider this. Um, and then we, we talk about the tenets of what Nelson was thinking about again. Does your advisor have sufficient experience in business volume to have a substantial relationship with the carrier? We talked about this a little bit later. If you don't have a relationship with the carrier, when it's fine when things are going great. But if you need something done, correct it. We've had, we've had clients that have actually sent in a check, didn't know that they had to actually tell the company that this check should go to the premium. And when it arrives before the anniversary date, they actually apply it to the loan because before the anniversary date, the premium is not due. So we're able, because we have the relationship, we can call the, the carrier up and say, can you reverse that and put that towards the premium now when the premium due dates? That's just one example. There's, there's hundreds of examples. And then finally, does your advisor work in a team environment? So do they have a backup plan and like-minded advisors to help you no matter what happens rather than working as a solo practitioner? I think this is really, really important for any financial decision that you're making, not just the infinite banking concept, okay? Because there are, there's, a, there's a industry term in the financial services industry, whether it's your mortgage, whether it's your property and casualty insurance, whether it's your wealth um, advisor, whether it's your insurance producer, whatever it is. Do they have a succession plan for you? In the industry, that term, when that person leaves the business, they become disabled, they die, they retire, you become what they call an orphan. Orphan is not a positive term. <laughs> orphan means you're struggling, you don't know where you're going next, so on and so forth. So through our vast experience, we noticed that that's not good for the client. So what we've done is we put a teamwork uh, model in place so that even if something happens to me, you can talk to Cole, you can talk to Connor, you can talk to Riley, you can talk to Stephanie, you can talk to Jessica, you can talk to Steven, you can talk to a lot of people that are in the organization and they know they're like-minded, we're all like-minded, we all know how pro uh, policy designs are worked. And we can help you through the process going and you will never become orphaned. So that may be the most important thing when it comes to choosing things, not only for the infinite banking concept, but also for um, any financial services organization that you're working with. Cole, anything you want to add to that particular yeah. so just, concept? Just in recap, the four, the four main elements, working with a great financial firm is obviously um, their overall philosophy, the strategy, the relationship with the carrier, and then succession planning, as you were just mentioning. And I think this is a good time. We have some questions in the comments. Um, I can read them yeah, off. I, Bruce. Let, let, yeah, let me, you, you uh, get ready. I'm going to, Marco um, is asking, this is a great question, Marco. Is there anything that you don't agree with Nelson Nash? Is it spiritual or a physical attraction? Boy, Marco, you're in a much more esoteric um, place than I am. I don't even know what the last part of that question means. I'll try to answer it. Yes, there is one thing, and I actually confronted Nelson about this. And I remember exactly where I was. I was at the 2018 Nelson Nash Institute Think Tank in Birmingham, Alabama. I'm, I'm on the 22nd floor of the hotel at the Sheraton. I actually get on the... Um, the elevator and I go down two floors and Nelson gets on and I've known Nelson now for uh, nine years. And so we had a pretty good relationship and I, and interest rates have been coming down with the banks for a long, long time. And remember one of Nelson's tenants is don't do business with the banks. And I said to Nelson, Nelson, I'm having a really hard time. I know you're not supposed to do business with banks, 
but I'm having a really hard time when a client has a an interest rate of 2.875 or 3% with a 30-year fixed mortgage. And they're also getting a tax deduction on that interest. And if they're in a, a high tax bracket, such as 35 or 37%, they're actually paying close to two, in some cases, less than 2% net for that money. And I said, Nelson, that just, I, I, I know we don't want to do business with bank, but that person isn't really saving that much and all that extra money that they're paying towards their, their uh, loan, they could actually be making more money through cash flow. And then that cash flow, they could actually be purchasing more life insurance. And Nelson said, Bruce, I'm giving you guidelines. You actually have to use those guidelines and ask your clients questions about what they believe. So Nelson said, he was very adamant. He goes, I don't want to do business with those snakes. He used to call them snakes all the time because Nelson knew that uh, the banking industry, which we're finding out right now, we are actually in late March of 2023 right now, and several regional banks are or have gone under and failed. And Nelson knew that it's because the banks are over leveraged and he just didn't want to participate in that. So he, he was still adamant about that, but he said, you need to talk to your clients and figure out if that's important to them or not. So yeah, Marco, that is the one thing. Now, as far as spiritual or physical, um, I don't know about the physical attraction, but I, I did appreciate Nelson's spirit. He was a very spiritual man. He was a very kind-hearted man. He was a man who believed in what he was he was saying. It was from experience of 50 years in the industry. He was an Austrian economist. He received several awards from uh, different Austrian organizations. Uh, FEE was, a, was one of them. Uh, F-E-E, you can look those up where we won't talk about them in this podcast. But so Marcus, that's a really good question. Cole, is there any other ones that that uh, you have from your other, the other social media that you're looking at right now? Um, no, he did ask a question earlier. He said, dear Bruce, could you explain um, why you do it? Why you, you do advice not to make business with the banks and instead make businesses with, or do business with. Yeah. The insurance oh, that, yeah, that's a good question. Okay. So there's a philosophical reason that Nelson had. Okay. And then he also had the practical reason. But the philosophical reason is the banks can actually multiply our money. So the Austrian economists actually believe that that's not, <clears throat> excuse me, that's not good for the general economy because it causes boom and bust cycle. It causes uh, false gross growth in the uh, economy, which eventually will cause a bust, which in March of 2023, we are seeing the ramifications of of 12 years of the Federal Reserve holding the interest rates near zero. And yes, there's a lot of economic boom at that time. Housing prices went up, um, edu um, unemployment went way down. There was a lot of wealth was created because of this. Well, this is kind of false wealth though, because what ends up happening with fractional reserve banking, and yes, I know there's different reserve requirements, but in general, 10% reserve requirements, and you can loan out 90% um, of those towards loans. And then I've mentioned this on other podcasts, then those, then those 90, that 90% is actually collected in a form of a loan, whether it's a car loan, whether it's a home loan, whether it's a personal loan, credit cards, that's a loan, people. People don't think of that, but that is a loan. Then whatever you use to pay the credit card with, let's say you buy a $5,000 oven for your house, that gets collected by that organization. They put that 5,000 in their bank and now they can multiply that 5,000 by another 90% of the 5,000. And so we have this um, almost exponential growth of fake money out there. So Nelson was an Austrian economist, and so he did not like the fact that we were falsely growing the economy because he knew there was going to be a bust and a lot of people were going to go through um, 
heartache at that time in, in the form of a recession. So that is why um, not doing business with banks was was so visceral with with uh, Nelson. And then the other reason is is he talks about the volume of interest that you paid to banks, and that volume of interest takes away from your own personal economy. Let's use the United States government uh, as an example right now. I think people would like to. Um, understand this. So we're, we're hovering anywhere between 31 and $33 trillion of debt by the United States right now as we do this podcast. That debt payment has to be made, and it is in the billions of dollars towards the, this. If that debt payment didn't have to be made, then that billions of dollars could be going into the economy by doing other things. It could be doing other government projects, or it could mean you lower your taxes because you don't need that money to pay off the debt. And that would be that additional money would be put into the hands of the people. And then the people would actually spend that money into the economy. And that that is a more of a free market economy that Nelson believed in. And you and you have just gradual ups and downs over that time period. So you don't have these huge busts in that situation. So if you can, it's same thing in your personal economy, then if you have 35% of your income, so let's say you you make $10,000 a month clear and that net, and then 3,500 of that is going towards interest payments of your mortgage, your car, your uh, credit cards, your personal loans, so on and so forth. If you didn't have to make that $3,500 payment, then that $3,500 payment would be money, $3,500 more that you could use to A, save, B, give away, three, C, um, invest. And when you then do all those things, those go, those go back into the natural economy. And this, these, this is what the Austrians believe was best for not only the economy in general, but best for the individual. So great questions, Marco. Um, I'm not going to, Marco had a question on um, political question, which I'm not a political advocate. I I do have different political um, thoughts. I'm more of a centralist, uh, an independent, a libertarian in my viewpoints, but obviously everybody leans one direction or another. Um, And without having a a way to explain my entire philosophy since birth, I don't think it's a a good thing to get into on a podcast. So we'll just keep it at that. All right. Anything you want to add to that, Cole, before we go into the policy design? Nope. I'm all good. I think we're ready to go. Okay. So we've already talked about you want to get a mutual company and and it needs to be dividend paying. And so that's the first thing as far as uh, the design and strategy. And why do we bring this up? Because there are a lot of people out there that think they have improved on the five tenants that Nelson discovered over his 50 plus years in the business. And they say, well, Nelson was great to get it started, but we figured out this new way, and that's either to use an IUL, which is an index universal life, or a universal life, or a variable universal life. And those products are, are good for what they're designed for. But if anybody's looking at this, I would encourage them to get an illustration and or a contract from both companies. But let me just give you an example. You can get an illustration from a mutual company. And it will be anywhere between, the illustration will be anywhere between 15 and, and 25 pages to explain all the technical things, the legal ease, you know, so on and so forth. You get one from an index universal life company or a variable universal life or a universal life, it's going to be anywhere between 40 and 80 pages long, depending on the product design. Why is that? Because they have to explain to you all the reasons that you have to understand that now the risk is being taken off 
the insurance company and it's being placed on you. So all the investment risk is being placed on you. And they're going to they're going to legal ease that out to make sure you understand that. Every single situation. You got to understand the fees are not set. You got to understand the cap rates are not set. You got to understand the spread rates are not set. You got to understand that um, the cost of insurance goes up every year, which is different than whole life. You got to understand that you only have limited ways that you can actually control that policy, where a whole life doesn't have to explain all that because the insurance company has taken on all the risk as far as the mortality risk, the risk for the fees. They've already set all those fees. They already understand the cost of insurance. It's going to be set, so on and so forth. Um, they do have to talk a little bit about uh, the variation in interest rates, the variations in dividends, but those are very easy to uh, explain. Uh, a contract now, they will say that um, a loan rate is the low it will be 5% and the high will be 8%. Not much variance in there. And um, they will they will talk about, you know, it's a unilateral with the whole life. They talk about it's a unilateral contract and you can control this. You can tr- you control how you pay your premiums. You can you control the different modes of premiums. Uh, another thing with with index products or universal life products is that you have to understand that if you miss a payment, they can actually take off all the guarantees that you've had up to that point. Now, when I say miss a payment, I mean simply be late with the payments. So, um, and if you if you actually um, go into a restrictive situation or lapse it, they definitely can get rid of um, of all the things that are in the contract that may be beneficial to you from just one late payment. So that's a, that's another thing that people don't understand with Index Universal Life. I actually use this example, and Nelson told a group of people, so I don't think that this is a bad thing to, to do. There are some things in whole life that are similar to this, but it's easy to explain. There are some companies out there that um, if you have a PUA payment, which is optional, and PUA stands for paid up additions, the PUA is optional, that if you don't actually contribute at least something every year, then they will actually drop the rider if you don't contribute something. It's spelled out very easily in the illustration. It just simply says, if you do not contribute up to $120 or up to $150 into your PUA in any given year, the the rider will close. This actually happened to Nelson Nash in his early policies because this is before he was focusing on PUAs for the infinite banking concept. So I tell people if, if Nelson Nash could actually miss a PUA payment and have his, his uh, rider close, do you think that maybe you could do it in your busy environment, your busy situation? That's why you need to work with a company that is actually consistently reviewing with you so that you maximize this particular contract for the rest of your life. Okay, so we've established it needs to be a mutual um, dividend paying company. Is your policy growth independent of the stock market? That gets back to the index. Now, Cole, I know you we, you and I have been exposed to this very recently. There are some companies out there that have actually decided that they're gonna base their dividend this is an option that you can choose. You, they're going to base their dividend based upon an index. So it's kind of a hybrid between um, the whole, traditional whole life mutual company and an index universal life company. Um, I would just say that um, there's also going to be caps. It's going to be, there's going to be all kinds of different um, contractual obligations, you have to do this. And on the years that you're not getting a, um, you're not actually getting a crediting because the index is actually zero, then you're not compounding as much. Now, I know what some people are going to say out there is they're saying, now, wait a minute. Dividends are not guaranteed either. And I agree with that a whole, wholeheartedly. 
by contract, they're not guaranteed. However, when we look at the S&P 500, which is an index, or the Russell 2000, which is an index, we can see historically that there have been a lot of years where they have not paid accrediting interest because they have gone below zero for that, a lot of years. When we look at the whole life companies we work with, even though inter, um, dividends are not guaranteed, every whole life company that we work with have paid dividends for at least 118 years. So they're highly probable. Um, does the policy illustrate non-guaranteed but, but highly in, in anticipated dividends? Yes, that's very, really important. And here's another point. Uh, Cole, and I don't know if you're limited to uh, experience with us, you know, only about two years, but I've been doing this since the 80s. I've seen this where people will actually just pull out parts of an illustration, maybe just two of the, the two pages of the illustration instead of all 15 to 20 pages of the illustration and send them to a person. One, that's deceptive. Two, it's actually against reg the regular authority, you cannot do that. So if you're working with somebody that's only sending you a couple of pages of this, then um, you really, that should be a red flag on the company that you're working with. All right. That is about um, policy design. And let me get to the third page on policy design. Oh, here's a really important one, because this is, this is what Nelson discovered, even though this was on all, you had the ability to do this. Many insurance agents didn't do this. Now, there's people out there that are claiming that people didn't do this because they wanted to get paid more. That That's not the reason people used to not use paid up additions. The reason, because I've been doing this since, like I said, the 80s, people actually didn't do paid up additions because whole life insurance contract was considered a rock. It was considered the guarantees that you wanted. You wanted to put as much money into the guarantee portion to build up the most guaranteed part of the death benefit. So that's why they did it. It wasn't because they were trying to get paid more, just like I don't believe people that are building higher base policies are doing it because they want to get paid more, even though people are talking about that all the time. But Nelson discovered that, oh, if I put more paid up additions, and here's the reason, the way he discovered it, people don't understand it. He had his dividends set to buy more paid up additions. That's another thing in policy design. You want to make sure there's, there's three different ways that you can really use dividends in your policy. You can have them sent to you, okay? You can have them actually set to accumulate at the insurance company in an interest-bearing account. Oh, and by the way, that interest-bearing account, you have to put on your tax return and you actually um, have to pay taxes on it, or you can set them to, to buy more paid-up additions. So this is when, what Nelson did, and he noticed that his paid-up additions were building cash value very, very closely, and he thought, oh, well, maybe I should actually design these to put more into the paid-up additions to actually build the cash value much more quickly. So that's how it was. That's how it actually came about. So you really need to look at the if it's designed with a good amount of of um, of the premium going through the paid up additions. But it also needs to have the guarantees of the base part of the policy. Um, our my good friend James Nethery um, actually recently did a podcast on this, and somebody at this is a good good. Um, I know we got some more questions coming in. And we'll get to those in just a, a, a second. But um, a lot of people are saying, well, what's the possibility of my policy lapsing? Well, I can tell you right now, the skinnier the base policy, the greater the, the chance of it to lapse. Why? The skinnier the base, the less guarantees you have. Okay, that's, that's, that should be simple enough for you. But let's take it one step further. When you're looking at compounding, you do get some compounding effect on the PUAs, but it's very minimal. And we could prove that to you here at the Money Advantage by going over 
some annual statements with you. The most of the compounding happens on the base because the base is how they determine most of the dividends. And when I'm talking about most of the dividends, I'm talking about 90% of the dividends. Oh, where did you hear that before? <laughs> uh, the banks actually do it exact opposite. They, they, they keep about 10% to actually in their reserves where um, the, when you do a skinny base, what they're doing is they're only taking about 10% in reserves, guarantees, and about 90% you can lend out right away. Well, when you lend out right away and you don't, you don't pay it back, and from my experience, people that don't think long-term when they have 90% or 80%, even 70, heck, I know people that have all base policies that don't pay their loans back. So it's a mindset that you have as a person. When you don't pay it back, the compounding of the loan, if it outpaces the compounding of the base, there's a, a very good potential that it's going to lapse. So that is why you need to use um, paid up additions, but you also have to balance the base part of the policy. Cole, is there any questions in, in social media right now that we need to go over? Um, Marco had some thoughts. Uh, he was agreeing with your your political viewpoint and had some other opinions. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah. We appreciate the comments. <laughs> yeah, thanks, Marco. You're you're a deep thinker. We appreciate you listening. Uh, okay, is there a policy design that to ensure that it does not become a mech endowment contract? <clears throat> so. Um, by contract, the illustrations are simply illustrations. They are not the actual contract. So the illustrations are just a, simply a snapshot in time. Okay. So what they do in an illustration for people that are new to this concept, or maybe even if you have a policy already, you may not understand what illustrations are. Illustrations normally assume the guaranteed side. And that guaranteed side is going to happen as long as you pay your premium. And then you have the non-guaranteed side, which is assuming that dividends are going to get paid. Now, what are they using as far as the dividend rate? They're using the current dividend rate of that particular company that year, and they project it out till the end of the contract. Most cases, it's 100 to age 121. Some cases, it's only to age 100, depending on the company and the product. So they're using today's dividend rate, and they're projecting it to age 121. So you can see that one thing I can tell you is the dividends are not guaranteed. They're highly probable. But the one thing that's not going to happen is you're going to have the same dividend to age 121. Okay, that's that's from a, from my experience. That's from every experience um, in every mutual company. They can give you the history of your dividends. I, I follow this. I just recently got a brochure from one of the uh, mutual companies, and they were showing how the dividends have gone up and down over the last <clears throat> 15 years. And so um, they're going to show you that. And that dividend projection is going to also determine whether or not the likelihood of your policy actually mecking or becoming a modified endowment contract. If you're new to that, the modified endowment contract is our laws that are, have been put into place in the 80s so that you cannot put too much money into a cash value life insurance contract without it then becoming uh, considered an investment instead of life insurance. So you have to have that life insurance death benefit so high. Now, some people that are in the industry try to pull that down to have the minimum life insurance possible to meet that requirement. In the future, if there's anything that goes wrong with a dividend payout, you could potentially mech the policy. Now, the biggest one, and I'm going to talk about this in a conceptual matter, it's kind of hard to do this on a podcast, but is what's called a blended term PUA. And so 
what most companies will allow you to do, and the IRS allows you to do, the Treasury Department allows you to do this, is add a term rider if needed. So we're all pretty uh, familiar with term insurance. Term insurance is exactly what it sounds like. You can buy a certain amount of insurance for a term. Uh, one year, five years, seven years, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years. You can buy it for a certain amount of term. And that particular actuary calculation then says <clears throat> you're going to pay the same amount over that term. But once the term ends, now you're going to go into a one-year renewable situation. You can keep the term, but after 10 years, now you, the premium is going to go way up. Why? Because you're closer to mortality. And then the next year, it, go, it grows even further. The next year, it grows even further. <clears throat> so what some companies attempt to do is a blended PUA term rider. And they say, well, what we're going to do is every year, Let's just, let's just pretend that the first year that they had to have $100,000 of term with the policy to keep it from mecking. So the next year, they're going to declare a dividend. That dividend is going to buy more paid up additional insurance. How much? I'm just making these numbers up, but let's say it buys another $10,000 of paid up insurance. So the next year, they figure their costs not on $100,000 but on $90,000. So now instead of the death benefit growing by $10,000, they, they keep the death benefit constant and they buy out $100,000 of term. And now you only have a $90,000 term. The next year they repeat that hopefully. They, they projected they were gonna have the same dividend. We're gonna get another $10,000. We're gonna reduce the cost of the term to only $80,000. The death benefit stays constant. So if you have an illustration that shows the death benefit staying constant, more than likely you have a blended PUA term rider. Those things can be fine. We actually represent a company that does those. We don't design them with those, but we represent a company that does those. The problem with those is if for any reason the dividend in year eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, whatever it is, does not perform the way that they had projected it to perform, and that dividend doesn't buy as much PUAs as it was projected, a couple of things can happen. One, your cash value will not grow like the pretty little illustration said it was going to grow. Or two, They'll come back to you and one of the regional directors of, of one of the big four companies that we have a contract with has, has coined it as a dividend call. In other words, they will say, you don't have enough money. You're not paying enough money in the contract to keep the, the contract from mecking. So we need to have you actually pay more money into the PUAs to actually boost up the death benefit because the term did not boost up the death benefit. So that can cause a MEC, a modified endowment contract. Luckily, in most situations, if you're working with a company that, and an agent that is reviewing with you, there are some things that you can do to pre uh, prevent that MEC. But with other companies, if you're not um, monitoring it, if you're not working with an agent that monitors it and you send in too much money and you cause it to become a modified endowment contract, it certainly isn't the end of the world, but it is not what you would like it to, to uh, happen. What it simply means that now it's going to become a modified endowment contract or what the IRS considers an investment. So now anything that you're taking from the, the policy, whether it's dividends, whether it's interest, whether it's loans, yes, I said that, whether it's loans, you actually now have to pay taxes on it. The death benefit still passes on tax-free, but you have to pay taxes. So if you're using this as the infinite banking concept, you certainly do not want to have to pay taxes on loans that you take. All right, Cole, is there anything from social media or anything you want to add yeah, on that? No, that was, that was really good. Um, our friend Joe Fazio had a few 
um, questions to add to our team section, which I think right. these are really good. He, he says you could ask, you know, do they eat their own cooking? Does your advisor have and utilize a policy that follows these concepts? Boy, Cole, we, I think you and I were talking about this the other day. Yeah. Um, I am absolutely amazed, and I've been doing this for a long, long time. <clears throat> and it was one of the things that my mentor told me in the 80s. He said, okay, first of all, you need to get a policy right now. And I said, well, I have term policy. He goes, no, you need to get a whole life insurance policy. And I know this is going to sound crazy, but I was doing this part-time, and I was working as a, as a teacher. And he suggested I do like $25 a month. And I thought, oh, my God, there's no way I can do $25 a month. And he said, no, you're going to be making more money as you go along in your career. This is going to be, this is going to be nothing. And now I put well over six figures in the, my six different policies a year. So I went from 25000 25, a month to well over six figures into my policies every year. <laughs> and, and so it's, a, it's about a mindset on how you do that. <clears throat> so, but what I'm amazed at is he told me there's a lot of insurance agents out there that do not even have these, the same types of products that they're actually selling. And I was flabbergasted by that. But as I learned um, and I started interacting at different conferences I would go to and I talked to people, I would find out that they wouldn't even have these products. And how do you find out? Well, some people actually just tell you. I know it's crazy, but they actually just tell you. Other ones, you ask them questions about their policies, like, "Hey, how many, how much uh, PUAs that you actually put into that policy, and and uh, is it a blended term writer like we were just talking about, or do you how do you have the the uh, dividends set to accumulate? Do you ever find them that are they're set to um, uh, paid up additions, and and they don't even know what you're talking about, or they act like they know, but you know you." you so you know they're not actually doing it. So Joe, that's a really, really good point. And um, you know, we can we've actually brought um, people on in our organization um, and showed the different policies how we work with them. Um, I I've actually um, I don't know if I've done it I've done it on the podcast, but I've actually recently showed. Um, and this is not an IBC concept, so so don't hold me to this, but. Somebody was asking about an all-base policy, and I recently did an all-base policy on my wife, and I didn't do it for the infinite banking concept. I did it for the increased guaranteed death benefit, and I also did it because I believe interest rates are going to normalize, and they've already gone up considerably, and so I wanted to capture more of the, the uh, rise in the dividends for my, this particular policy. So I've actually showed that to cut to clients over and over and over. So great points, Joe. Does Joe have any other uh, um, points no, that he's making? <laughs> no other comments. Um, we have Tammy from Oregon and Marco from the Lion's Mouth, the sound. And also uh, we're getting to the top of the hour. So if you okay. want to wrap this up here soon. <clears throat> yeah. So uh, there are a variety of other things that you need to, to ask yourself. And, and the reason Cole and I wanted to, come on the show today and talk about this is, you know, Rachel does, Rachel knows her stuff as everybody knows from all of her video, her blog, so on and so forth. Um, but Rachel doesn't work with directly with clients anymore. She works uh, doing all the informational, educational videos, so on and so forth. So we wanted to come on, Cole and I wanted to come on because we were one of the teams that actually see these types of questions and people are coming to us and asking, you know, what should I be looking for? Why am I looking for this? And we're always asking them, what other things have you heard? What other things are you doing? And then we also follow social media to find out what other people are doing. And, and I'm a part of the Nelson Nash Institute. And actually this coming Wednesday, I'm actually going to a, a presentation here in town to see what other producers are doing. Because <clears throat> I want to be able to understand um, explanations and how to explain things better. And I've certainly been doing this for a long time, but I know I can still learn. So Cole and I are, have been seeing these types of questions come up with people that have, have uh, inquired onto our team. And so we thought we would do a podcast on this today. We thank everybody for listening. If you like the content, 
uh, context that we're doing, please like and subscribe. Continue to ask your questions um, in the social media. We we com- uh, compile those questions. And then as you, if you're a longtime listener, you've also noticed that we then do a, a question and answer uh, segment um, uh, podcast on occasion. So Cole, is there anything you want to wrap up on today's podcast? No, I think that was great. And uh, like Bruce said, just keep the questions coming and we'll have more podcasts like this. So finally, look at the, um, the show notes. There'll be some links to the Infinite Buyer's Guide checklist that we were going over today. And there'll be some other links to things that you can use for your educational context. And um, we really appreciate the support. And if you have any questions after the podcast, just go into the YouTube or other social media and ask those questions. And in closing, as Rachel always says, success leaves few uh, clues. So model the successful few, not the crowd, and build a life and business that you love. Discover the secret of how to earn a return on the same money in two places at the same time so that you can strengthen your investment returns. We've created a free guide for you that explains the top three things every investor needs their privatized banking system to do. Go to themoneyadvantage.com slash banking, put in your name and primary email address, click the send my free guide button right now, and we'll see you on the inside. Thank you for listening to the Money Advantage podcast. Today's show notes and resources are available for you on themoneyadvantage.com. If you like this episode, make sure you subscribe and leave a review. If you have any questions or desire to speak with a qualified financial professional after listening to today's podcast, we encourage you to reach out to us at hello at themoneyadvantage.com or check us out at themoneyadvantage.com. The opinions and views expressed here are for informational purposes only. This material is educational in nature and should not be deemed as a solicitation of any specific product or service. All investments involve risk and a potential loss of principal. Kalos Capital Incorporated nor Kalos Management Incorporated offer tax or legal advice. Please consult with a tax advisor or attorney for advice regarding the impact on your portfolio. Securities offered through Kalos Capital Incorporated Member FINRA, SIPC, MSRB, and Investment Advisory Services offered through Kalos Management Incorporated and Registered Investment Advisor, both located at 11525 Parkwood Circle, Alpharetta, Georgia. E3 Consultants Group is not an affiliate or subsidiary of Kalos Capital Incorporated or Kalos Management Incorporated.